emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and today's show, Ron, free rider Friday. Right on, Ed. Been waiting all month for this. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, as, as we usually are. As our, was our phrase loaded for bear? Yes. Absolutely. I don't know. What does that mean? What is loaded for bear? Like loaded for a bear? Like you can shoot a bear? Yeah. You, you know, that's funny. Jonah Goldberg's podcast this week is about bears and the whole cliche that they want to do us harm. It's a big thing with him because his wife used to live in Alaska, grew up in Alaska. So she kind of taught him that bears aren't there to really hurt you it's a myth blah 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 so i, yeah, no, I haven't listened to it eat, yet they just want to eat everything that's right all right want. yeah um <laughs> if you have food I, they want to eat your food that's true <clears throat> but i but i bet that's that might be where it comes from Loaded there's a great bear. word guy i forget his name led better uh something led better and he he has books on the you know odd phrases like that and where they came from traces right. them all back it used to be on the rate he used to come on the radio as a guest like once a month on a local show, morning show here, and he was phenomenal. People would call in with these questions like that, and mm-hmm. he'd have the answer for him. And if he didn't, he'd look it up, and he'd have it after the break or whatever. It was just great. Or just make it up. The, you know, well, the- yeah, he, he could have. <laughs> he, he was pretty precise, though. I'm sure. Well, didn't Sapphire do stuff like that, yes. like on language, too? William Sapphire yes, was big. He did. Uh, and, uh, but some of his have turned out that, that he's done some research on it, not so true, on, like the nine yards thing or something that was right, nine right. yards of ammo. To this, And, of course, there's conflicting stuff. But, yeah, we'll look up the loaded for bear one. That's yeah, tough to see yeah. what, what, what's all about that. You know, you mentioned bears aren't there. Harris saw a very funny story. It, it was on an apocryphal site, but it, it made me laugh hysterically this morning. Dogs lick us because they really want our bones. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought they just wanted the salt. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody says. Yeah, it's not that. It's yeah. that they want. They actually want our bones. But bones. anyway, I thought it was cats who ate you after you died. Yeah, I just, I don't know. All right. Well, now we've lost the animal rights groups and yes. people for the ethical treatment Upset of animals. PETA. Yes. Yeah, whereas, okay. So let's free ride. I, look, you and I actually chatted about this personally earlier today. This is just hysterically funny. I've it is much, much, much to a little bit of my wife's chagrin. I have, I have gotten somewhat active on some of the sites that are dedicated to local issues here in, in Allen, Texas. Right. And this this does not make her necessarily happy because you know she's like you know people are going to associate me with you me with you yes <laughs> yes guilt by association <laughs> she's like and I have a good reputation I'm like well right. sorry honey uh, and you know there's lots of things most most of it has to do with with uh, you know people's opinion on what should happen with parcels of property that are in the town of Allen right or mm-hmm. in the city of Allen I should mm-hmm. say. 
you know, there's a lot of people, well, I think we should do this with that land. I said, well, you know what you should do then? You should get some investors (laughs) and buy the land and do what you want with it, right? And it's just so funny, like once you start to come at people from that perspective, they just don't know how to handle it, right? Right, right. You know, they just want to say that, hey, my idea is best. Anyway, well, what happened this week was somewhat funny. The, te- the Texas legislature adjourned, thank God, uh, so they can no longer do any more damage. And <laughs> and like like we reported on last week on our, I believe it was on our bonus episode, we talked about this. So those of you missing out on the Patreon bonus episodes need to give this a listen. But what was it? The state of, was it Idaho or Wisconsin? Idaho. Idaho. Idaho let like all of their regulations not be renewed, right? Right. right. <laughs> which is which is fantastic. Well, something similar down happened down here in Texas, Ron. The the uh, I'm going to get this. The Texas Board of Plumbing Examiners, right? Mm, which okay. I, w- was fell victim to sunset legislation. The 86 legislature adjourned without re-upping this Texas State Board of Plumbing Examiners, which has been around since 1947. And as a result, it will be abolished as of 2020 because the legislature for Texas will not meet again until 2021. And this is this is why I think, you know, Texas has a bit better state record than others because we only meet for about four months every two years. Right, I love it. Right? That's phenomenal. And so this is fantastic. Uh, and so it's unlikely unless an emergency uh, session is called by the governor to renew this, the Texas Board of Plumbing Examiners is going to cease to exist as of 2020. And as of this September, it's probably going to have very little to do because they have run it out, they've run out of funding or, or they will run out of funding already. Well, the local site, again, this is the Allen, Texas site, you would think that it's Armageddon is about to befall the state of Texas. Do you know that it, that plumbers are also responsible for gas lines? And oh, by the way, when houses start exploding, we, <laughs> we can blame the Texas legislature because the Texas legislature it, did not renew this. And, it's, and I'm like, do you really think that the, it's the regulation that keeps you safe. I said, first of all, how many of you have ever hired a plumber and said, "What can I see your certificate? Can I see your license? Or even now, looked it, it up. It may very well be that they have a license because they can't really practice in Texas without one. So you just ig- ignored it, right? And But pl- coupled with the fact that th- the overwhelming majority of times that you hire a plumber, how do you get a plumber, Ron? You look online for uh, referrals or ask, uh, ask, ask people for referrals and you get a recommendation from somebody who's right. This, this is how it happens. So, you know, one of our mantras, reputation is far more important than regulation. And it is just incredible to me. And people are going berserk over this berserk. It's just beyond the pale for me. So. But Ed, does it apply to, so this Texas Plumbing Board of Examiners, that just means that they can't license new plumbers? Or That's does that take away the licenses of all the grandfathers? It doesn't, it does, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't take them away, but they mean, they mean nothing because they, you know, there's, there's no. The law has been. Yeah, the law has sunsetted. sunsetted. Mm-hmm. Can the governor, like they talked about in Idaho, the governor said he could, he could enact certain laws if he wanted to. 
without without calling. No, I don't think so because with this, this is this is again, this is the agency says it's responsible for the licensing and enforcement of plumbing law. Right, right. So therefore, the enforcement process is no longer exists. We have plumbing law. <laughs> that just sounds bizarre, but yeah. And you, and, but but this is, and I am dead serious. This is what some people are saying. You know, what's next? The medical board, yeah, right? Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> Unlicensed doctors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As if plumbers are even in the same category, right? And and I keep and I over and over again. I what I've put posted on this is there is no evidence. I mean, we did a whole show on this. There is no evidence that any of these things help public safety there and nobody responds with evidence. They just respond with emotion area. Right. But there's, but there's no evidence. They can't point to the evidence because it does not exist. No. And just by, by the fact that the different States require, have different, you know, licensing requirements. Some require more education. Some might require apprenticeship for all I know, but if it was about safety, you would think it would be more standardized. It's not anywhere near being standardized. No. Nope, not at all. Wow. Completely ridiculous. Yeah. So, well, there you go. There you go. Be on the lookout, Ed, for those unlicensed yeah, I know, for those plumbers, rogue man. plumbers. Those rogue plumbers, you got to watch out for them. You'll man. have to put out an amber alert when you see one, <laughs> you know, in a truck without a license number on it or something. You know, oh, yeah. everybody will get text messages on their phones. <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, I thought I saw Russ Roberts' tweet on happiness research. Okay. And he said and it was very short, and it was something like, it, this can't be quantified very well. This is scientism, not science, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I found this thing in The Economist from uh, March 23rd. And, you know, in 1974, Richard Easterlin he discovered the average life satisfaction in America had stagnated between 1946 and 1970, even though GDP had grown 65% over that same period. This became known as the Easterlin paradox, right? It's been hotly disputed ever since, claiming to find a link between growth and rising happiness, right? Usually here it, it peaks at like 100 grand and then you can't get any happier and, you know, and all of the right, right. All, all of that. So this, this article kind of dived into that and said examples of national income and happiness rising and falling together. The most significant in terms of population is China, where GDP person has doubled over a decade while average happiness has risen by 0.43 points. It's hmm. pretty big in, in the happiness uh, measurement. Among rich countries, Germany enjoys higher incomes and greater cheer than 10 years ago. Venezuela, once the fifth happiest country in the world, has become miserable as its economy has collapsed, yet the correlation is very weak. And here's the, here's the pull quote that I, that I wanted to throw out there. Okay. In total, the world's population looks roughly equally divided between places where happiness and incomes have moved in the same direction over the past 10 years and places where they have diverged. And they have a chart that kind of shows this, mm-hmm. that, you know, a graphic that shows that it's just, there's no... There's no correlation. And, and plus, I just think the way they gather this data, you know, this is based on oh. surveys. Hey, Ed, are you happy now? You know, you asked me that three weeks ago and uh, you would have got a radically different answer. It just, it's just absurd. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I, the, it, that's clear, clearly a, a, a metric problem, right? Not even a measurement yeah. problem because it's, it's trying to take something that is completely subjective, which is your relative happiness to what, right? Right, right. You know, to what? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's it, it, very ch- challenging and therefore very suspect. And that would be one of those words, too, that internationally, you know, does happiness have different connotations in different languages? You know, that, that to me, there's probably a, that's probably a word that has lots of different meanings and, of course, lots of variations in different languages. But that's a great point. And I don't know, I don't know if they adjust for that linguistically when they do these surveys or when they right. gather this research. <laughs> to me, it's just like value, you know, value is subjective, you know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the temperature in the room. Half are going to find it too hot, half are going to find it too cold. That, I don't know what that tells you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing. No, they, they have a lot of a lot of Goldilocks people. That's what, what it tells you. No. I mean, but there's all these metrics and indexes now coming out. The happiness, you know, the countries that are the happiness, and it's always Finland that's way up there, <laughs> number one. Don't ask me why, uh, but Finland. It's a lot of vodka in Finland. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, could be. Oh. All right. Well, we're up against our first break. I want to remind you, the soul of enterprise.com is the site where you can go check out pre show notes, uh, show notes for, from previous shows and, and upcoming shows, uh, previews. And then of course we do have the Patreon site that I mentioned earlier. If you're interested in joining and becoming a subscriber there, it's patreon.com slash T S O E that's P A T R E O N.com. But right now a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And it is Free Rider Friday here on the Soul of Enterprise. And as always, plowing through our stacks of stuff. Uh, Ron, I got one here, and this is related to something that we do on the bonus episode, which is whenever we do our AOC update. Right. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez update, we play the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Right. Out of the the background music, just... (laughs) You were inspired, and we were trying to come up with, like, a, do we need a theme, a theme song. for AOC? And you said yeah. the Battle of the Public. Well, I don't know if you listen to this, but Tom Woods on his podcast did a did a, uh, a whole show, 35-minute show on the Battle Hymn of the Republic and the history of it. I had no idea, like, how insidious this this really is. Oh, it, that, yeah, I did listen to that show. I, I, I bought the guy's book and I can't wait to read the book. The, the yeah. fear, what's it called? The fiery battle, him and the Republic or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I know it's messianic. It's full of, but Ed, I will tell you, I love it. I, I think it's one of the greatest tunes ever written. I love it. Oh. And I and I know all the problems and, and I understand that. <laughs> I still love it. Well the the tune itself is is actually a, from a different song, which was called John Brown's Body. Mm, right, right. Right. So that that glory, glory, hallelujah chorus right, is right. really ca- taken from that. And then she just adopted it. But the, the, it, it's it, like when you, if you read the entire poem, we'll post a link up to the the uh, the Wikipedia entry on this because it really does go through quite a lot of detail on it. And yes, I think the 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 uh, that that book that you mentioned is probably going to be outstanding. But you know, it was originally composed around the Civil War, but she did a great job avoiding anything specific to the Civil War. Right. Right. right, so that it would really outlast the last the creation. Right, she doesn't mention any specific battles or or generals or anything like that. But it's it's the, when you really do sit back and just just read it for what it is, and oh. it's it it's it's very sinister. And oh, she was a big, she is a huge progressive. This woman, uh, Julia Ward Howe, oh. is the oh. is the the name of the the woman who developed the poem. You know, b- big into you know, bringing about the, the second coming, you know, on, on, here on earth and, uh, you know, fed, fed a lot of the progressive agenda of the day, uh, was, you know, big, big uh, person who was into, into the, uh, the vote for women, you know, so we'll give her some yeah. props for that. But there was a lot of other stuff that I don't know if you want to really want to be associated with, with this, 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 <laughs> this song. Oh, I know. There's some lines in that song that are just, bone chilling you know yeah. fight to make them free and you know yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. as he died to make men holy we yes must, we must die to make men free men yeah. Free. yeah yeah yep. yeah of course that which is often changed now to we must live to make men free they and they do change it even the military bands that that play yeah. different versions. you know every one of them plays a version of it in fact the version that we play for aoc update i'm pretty sure is the one that was played at Ronald Reagan's funeral. That is all the military bands together playing that yeah. that version of it, which is Got one of the reasons I like it. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you, I still love it. I, I <laughs> you know, it's art, it's poetry. It's supposed oh, yeah. to be, you know, it's not supposed to be literal. No, but it is very dark. So it is dark, go. but I still love it. And, and, and <laughs> okay, by the way, Abraham Lincoln loved it so much he made the band play it again after the first time he heard it he wanted to hear it again there you go well 
No, that's cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that link up to the guy's book because it, it's escaping me. But that was a good show. I enjoyed that discussion with that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. really cool. Yeah, the Woods has been on fire lately. He's had some really, really interesting shows. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ed, we've talked about, what did we call it? Generational astrology? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's your sign? What's your age? Right, right whatever. Right, right, right. Um, this and this is a bugaboo also of Jonah Goldberg's. He hates this stuff as much as we do, although his views on this have softened a bit. But but he wrote this article, and I thought this was really clever the way he started this out. He quoted retired Navy Admiral William H. McRaven, who said, quote, Critics talk about millennials being soft and pampered and entitled. Well, I'm quick to say that you've never seen them in a firefight in Afghanistan. This is a fabulous generation, and anybody that worries about the future of the United States, I don't think you need to worry. And Jonah says, I can't stand that type, type kind of talk. He said, imagine that I said, I am probably the biggest critic of millennials you'll ever meet. Fans talk about millennials being brave and courageous. Well, I'm quick to say you've never seen them mooching beer money in the <laughs> 7-Eleven parking lot. And he goes on to say, you know, there's some 83 mil- million millennials between 81 and 96. Again, how does a generation be- become 15 years? I, I still don't understand this. Right, right. Does that make any sense to anybody? No. I, I mean, that's just stupid, but, but mm-hmm. that's the way they do it. I don't, I don't know who blesses this stuff. Um, he says, you know, he says, yeah, I'd like the opportunity to buy a beer for the millennial who raided bin Laden's compound, but some random guy who was playing video games when bin Laden was taken out, he can buy his own beer. <laughs> he says, character is formed by individual deeds. There is no transitive property to glory or blame. And then I love this generational pride is the cheapest form of identity politics. Now where he softened on this a bit, and he just did a show with a guy, a New York times report, no wall street journal Mm. uh, journalist who just wrote a book about how the boomers screwed the millennials. And it's not really, it's not generational bashing. It's not looking at me. It is, does look at it through a generational prism, but it's an economics book about policy. Mm-hmm. You know, we've stuffed up social security, we've stuffed up Medicare, we've, you know, we've blown a lot of things and we're just kind of voicing it off onto the millennials. Um, but what Jonah does say, he says, there are about as many millennials in America as there are Germans in Germany. And he says, and there are some things you can say about Germans that you can't say about Swedes or Costa Ricans. So that's where he's toned it down a little bit. He says, you know, there are some things you can say about these generations, but, but not a whole lot. No. And like you said, or we've talked about in the past, a lot of it is just proceeding through life in different stages of life, no matter what. Right. Right. Uh, You know, know, and this, this is the the trope that makes me crazy. You know, the the millennials want their work to make a difference. (laughs) Really? What? The, Hello? <laughs> but, and, and this is what Peter Drucker wrote about in the forties. Purpose, right? <laughs> what, what? What did you miss back then? I, I mean, I just uh, it goes back to the yet. Bible. Yeah, Me, yeah. Meaning, Where there is no I vision, mean, the people perish. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's Jeez. like, uh, come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. It's just, just, just super silly. I mean, done. Um, you know, one of his one of his big bugabears is um, the whole greatest generation. He says, yeah, the, the, the guys who stormed the beaches at Normandy, phenomenal. But the guy who was in a drunk tank at the same time, probably not as good. You know? yeah. <laughs> so. Just by definition. Yeah. 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 
So I got the, here's one I, I don't want to spend too much time on, and we could. We could probably even dedicate a whole show to this. So that's why I'm purposefully leaving this with about four minutes left in the segment. And, you know, one of the things, Ron, that you and I uh, talk about it, it and we, we, we've kind of given a hard time to the climate people about, hey, you know, what's a prediction that you've made that has, has come true? Right. Mm-hmm. You've got all of this stuff that it's, you've got, you know, this dire warning, this is going to happen. And it was got to thinking about this, you know, 10 years ago when, you know, we were in the throes of the, the whatever you want to call it, great recession. Right. And we, and all of this uh, spending remember, and quantitative easing and all of this, this stuff, we didn't have the show, but I'm pretty sure you and I had a lot of conversations where this is not sustainable. This, this is this is going to cause hyperinflation. This is the, the, you know, and and you know what? I gotta say, what's happened? We were wrong. Yeah, yeah, we were wrong. Absolutely. And are are we are we raising? Uh, is our belief in the economic system and what happens akin to a lot of uh, anti or the global warming debate? I mean, we, we haven't made very good predictions about that kind of stuff e- either. No, let's face it. I mean, econometrics and global warming have something very, very uh, significant in common. They're both both based on computer models. Mm-hmm. And something as complex as the environment or the economy cannot be modeled. I don't care how many supercomputers you put on it. Mm-hmm. There's just too. So it's you a think complicated that's what system. it is? It's just that our, that the, that the models are are just if in in they, they are not sufficient, insufficient. No. I should say they're no sufficient way. for really help. Okay, being and uh, they can't tease okay. out cause and effect. And I mean, you know, this is what some of the skeptics point out about it. Um, and I find that pretty compelling because you see it in other areas. We see it in econometrics. I mean, this is this is the whole thing with Russ Roberts' show, right? Right. It, he talks about this all the time. We just can't model this stuff. We think we can because mm-hmm. we have some of the numbers, but this you're, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. Well, we do, I mean, we fall in love with the mathematics of it, right? I mean, and, and even some of the, the, the non-mathematics, even some of the predictions that say, a, you know, a Murray Rothbard or, or an Austrian economist would have made based on what the policies that were happening in 2008 and 2009, right? I mean, they, they didn't come to pass as would have been predicted. Yep. You know, so, yeah. but you know, that's not to say that there won't be, there, there won't be another downturn and there will be, there will be, there will be a business cycle. And, and here's the thing we, but we can't say told you so on that, just like the global warm, like the global, the global warming people say, well, you see, there were these tornadoes this week. And that's clearly an example of what's happening from a global warming perspective. Tornadoes have nothing to do with this climate change. They have a lot to do with cold air. Right, right. Well, but you see my point, right? Yes, the, ana- the analogy that that we 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 can't we can't necessarily use use that as an example because we haven't been very good at at making those predictions as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, we humans can't. We suck at predictions. <laughs> right. The future is supposed to take us by surprise. Otherwise, why would you want to live? Yeah. No. That's tr- exactly true. Exactly true. No. All right. Well, let's let's end this segment a little bit early, Ron. And that way we can we can make a, okay. have a slightly extended segment three. That but works. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of us by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage dot com. That's the will that email will go to both Ron and myself. But uh, and you can also see our previews to upcoming shows on the soul of dot com. But right now, a word from our sponsor.
The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of May. And Ed, I got one from The Economist, March 16th. It's about Volkswagen. You know, Volkswagen is the largest car company in the world. Yeah, because they own a boatload of people that you don't really realize that they own. They do. They have a ton of brands. Um, They made nearly 11 million vehicles last year. I think Toyota makes around 9 to 10. I think GM's around the same um, Herbert Deese or Dice, I'm not sure which, is the CEO of Volkswagen. And he has pledged that they will be, uh, they're moving quickly into electric vehicles. They're going to have 70 new electric models by 2028. And they pledged to have 22 million electric vehicles delivered over the next 10 years. It's the biggest commitment of any car company in the world to move to electric vehicles. But the thing that caught my eye on this was, Volkswagen has not delivered high profits, even though they have this massive 11 million, you know, market share. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's only two brands where it gets the bulk of its profits, Audi and Porsche. Huh. Productivity of its factories compared to other mass market brands is terrible. Workers occupy half the seats on the firm's supervisory board. The board can block job cuts and other unwelcome changes, nearly half of VW's 660,000 employees are in Germany, but the company has been unable to shift manufacturing to lower-wage countries. You know, in Europe, the whole thing over there is jobs. So they don't mind bigness. They don't mind monopolies. They don't mind right. you know, mediocre profits, any of that. It's all about jobs. And that's been true for a long time. Yep. Um, and they're, they're running right up against that. In 2017, the union even opposed the a sale of Ducati, you know, the small Italian motorcycle maker that is hardly core to VW. Uh, labor dominates the firm. Uh, they say the corporate governance is a catastrophe. You know, I'm so sick of hearing how Germany's got corporate governance figured out because they let labor sit on oh, the right. board. Yeah. Okay. Look at VW, Exhibit A. 
<laughs> um, Mr. Deese arrived from BMW three years ago, has a reputation as a cost cutter. He bemoans the labor blocking progress, uh, thinks it's a, you know, really terrible. And um, he wants to kind of slash the labor force. Uh, and the interesting thing is, it's one of the reasons he's moving to these electric vehicles. They require 30% less labor to make. So that's going to be really interesting. Okay. Well, now that now the greens come up against the labor unions, it's always okay. interesting when these different constituencies, you know, start to, to bash one another. Yeah. The labor and the environmentalists, that will be a great, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, real quick one. Uh, yeah. Real interesting. Um, little article in National Review um, that talked about people's libraries. And most of these folks, the writers were collectors, you know, they were either talking about their collection of books, or they're just personal library home, like, you know, you've got books behind you, right? Here and wonder, gee, I wonder if those are sorted in a way, are they alphabetized by the author? Alphabetical by author. The alphabetical by, by, that's how I've done it, but it's got all screwed up. over the years because you know you pull them out and you never put them back exactly right it's right floppy and and so they had a bunch of their writers weigh in on their libraries but this one guy peter j travers who's the uh, chairman of national review institute's board of trustees he, he wrote this he says the phrase digital library is an oxymoron um and churchill he quotes churchill said even if you cannot read all of your books fondle them peer into them let them fall open where they will. Read from the first sentence that arrests the eye. Set them back on the shelves. Arrange them on your own plan. Let them be your friends. Try doing that with your ebook. <laughs> Assembling a library. This, this is what caught my eye, Ed. Assembling a library is a physical act, like gardening. One cannot cultivate flowers and vegetables online without a diminution of the experience. Uh, yeah. There's some truth to that. And there, there's, you know, there's pluses and minuses to the ebook thing. We, we've talked a little there, bit about that, right? There is. You know, it's so weird. I purged another 300, maybe somewhere between three and 400 books in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, that's about probably as many of as I have in my Kindle by now. I'm not sure. Right. Counted them. But it should count them, by the way, for you. I don't, they should do that. There's a way to do that. Yeah, there is a way to do. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I need to look at that. But um, and but anyway, I just thought, yeah, geez, if I would have grown up with a Kindle, I wouldn't have all these books. Would that be good or bad? I don't know. Yes, you see, but my kids still have books, and they they do a lot of reading on their stuff too. I mean, we still we still buy books for them to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're and they're both in summer reading book clubs. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. yeah. Then they you know they always buy the physical copy. So. They do, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's real. Yeah, and of course, you know, they're not going away. Yeah, there's the collector's books. You know, the the signed by the author. That's why. I mean, you can oh, do sure. it on an ebook, but it's not the same thing as. Oh no. You know, pulling one yeah. down. And I've got no lots of those. Yeah, no one's been able to duplicate that experience just yet. So. Yeah, yeah. Just just an interesting thought, but I I, I did thought it was a really cool analogy that he equated it to gardening. Agreed. So. Agreed. All right. Well, I, I got. Let me take take this one. I got got seven minutes to try to get this one in. Okay. The the new announcement by the president uh, Trump about 
tariffs to Mexico. Uh, this is how I guess he's going to have the Mexicans pay for the wall, which is by you know, charging them a tariff on imported goods of 5%. And it's slated uh, to go up by 5% every month until they deal with their immigration policy. Now, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's, let's invest. Let's try to piece it. Um, first of all, we're not Mexico's only trading partner, right? So, and the tariff is not paid by the Mexicans. It's paid, it's paid by the importers in the United States. Yes, which gets it's paid by the consumer. Which gets passed on to consumers in the United States. And see, and, and that's not the way Trump looks at it. No, it is not the way, and it's not the way, it, and is not the way that people who are adherents to Donald Trump, who three years ago would have looked at it completely different, look at it. And that's the that's the thing that drives me crazy. If this was Obama proposing uh, this, they would it would be they would be all over it, all over it. This is going to kill policy. This is not how you do this. But I like well, but it's a negotiation tactic. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not a negotiation tactic. I'm sorry. It's it's not a go. Okay, let's just let's even go with his logic. But let's go with his logic. Okay, here's what's going to happen. This is going to in the Mexican government is going to to get hurt because business owners in Mexico are going to sell less goods to the United States. This is going to damage their economy, and these business people are then going to go to the Mexican government and demand that they change their policy so that that we get get rid of these tariffs. All right, first of all, that's not going to happen. But let's even grant, let's even say that this is going to happen, that it is going to, quote, damage the Mexican economy. You know what that's going to mean, Ron? (laughs) People from Mexico are going to try to get into the United States. Right. Yeah. No, I know. I know this is not this the is way the China got rich, right? This is the most antithetical policy. Like this does the exact opposite. And I tried to point out to one of, one of my friends from grammar school, who's arguing with me on Facebook. Who's like, I said, this is exactly, this is exactly like minimum wage laws. The intentions of the people who passed minimum wage laws. I don't doubt it. They want to help the people. They want to help poor people. They want to help low wage learners. But, but wage earners, but in actuality, it hurts them more than anyone. Anyone. This has been demonstrated over and over again. This is the, this is the, you're, you're, you're mucking with the price system. Yep. (laughs) No, I know. I'm I'm sitting here beside myself. (laughs) I know. I know. It's the most frustrating thing. And, and, you know, Larry Kudlow, who is in Trump's economic team, and he's a, he's solid on free trade. He, right. They, they hit him on the talk show and he admitted, he said, look, China ain't paying these. The American consumer's paying these. I mean, he told mm-hmm. the truth. Um, but he, I think, is taking the tack that you mentioned that it, this is a negotiating tactic. Now, I think with China, that's got some merit, not a lot. It's got some, if we get IP reform, if we open up some things in their country, make it easier for our companies to get in there domestically where we don't have to be 51% owned by, you know, Chinese right. company. If they, if they reform some of their contract laws and, and that type of, then I think something good could come out of it. But with Mexico, I see no, re- there's nothing like that going on. So the whole negotiating thing, it just doesn't, I don't buy it. And like you said, it's just going to aggravate their economy and make immigration worse. 
just, just, just. This is, you know, we impose tariffs and blockades on countries we are at war with. Hello. (laughs) Well, that's why they call it a trade war, right? I I mean, they call it a trade war, but it's, this is just insane. It just, it it makes me crazy. And it's, and it's, and it should be obvious. It's what the Walter Williams, it doesn't even pass the sniff test. Not even. And we do enough stupid things in this country to raise the cost of consumer items, you know, with regulation and various laws. Right. I mean, we were, I was telling you this morning at the garage door guy come out and he, uh, he quoted me like $670 or something on the phone for a new garage door opener. And I don't know the last time I bought one, but that seemed like outrageous to me. I even tried to call Dan and say, hey, this sounds outrageous. Sounds like highway mm-hmm. rob. Well, come to find out there's a California law that requires battery backups. Add, added $120 to every new garage door opener. <laughs> Just one stupid law, 120 bucks. I mean, that's a form of a tariff. It's a tax. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially when there's no offsetting benefit to it. <sighs> No, crazy. Well, you know, it's, I don't know. I think we talked about this before we had the radio show. Remember, I bought the hinge that had the uh, that had the you know th- this this this. It was a metal hinge for a door, and it, in California, it said if you're purchasing in this California, you need to you, you need to know that that the state of California has determined that parts in this hinge have been have are carcinogens. <laughs> like what? If you lick it, should I not lick the should hinge? Should I not lick it? <laughs> <clears throat> Good, because I wasn't planning on licking the hinge, but whatever. So, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. It, there, it, there's a great piece in Reason. Uh, we'll post a link up up to this on how stunningly stupid the Trump tariff threat is a- aimed at Mexico, and and the author goes through uh, Eric Bohm goes through I think seven or eight different reasons. He just he just he just nails it. He rocks the rocks it on everyone because he deals with all of the issues that. Are, are coming up. Like I said, me, me, immigration from Mexico has been on the decline. Mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. Now yep. people passing through Mexico, it's right. Up. right. So from now, center, you yeah. say what you want, but le- legally, and the, he, Trump can't change this legally. They are coming seeking asylum legally. And he's done a lot to block that too. Don't get me wrong, but that's the, that's the reason why they're able to get into Mexico. And quite frankly, they can't be stopped for that. You know? Right. Yeah, you're so. supposed to grant. You're supposed to seek asylum in the first country you enter, right? That's the law. That's our law. Well, that's our law, right? Yeah. But okay. No, I'm not <laughs> sure what Mexico's. So they can't. In other words, if they're coming from you know Honduras or whatever, whatever, they, right? They, they come into Mexico. That's where they're supposed to seek asylum. They, they right. can't. They can't pass through there and seek asylum here. Right. But but. It, Anyway, this is a really, really good piece. All right. Well, I'm going to take my blood pressure medication during our next break. We want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Uh, we do have our show notes page as well as previews to upcoming shows and our calendar of where Ron and I are going to be at live events. And we have lots of those coming up in the late spring and summer. This is a, a typical time for, for most, both of us to have lots of dates out there. So if you want to see us live, take a, a look at that page. Uh, and then also our archive page where you can listen to and look at the show notes to all previous 143, I think, believe it is, Ron, episodes of the Soul of Enterprise. But night, right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday, and Ed, we got a, or I got an email, or we got, no, we got an email from one of our listeners, Robert Ant Allender from Hong Kong. That's cool. That's we very got, cool. We, got some, we, got, we do have some listeners in Hong Kong. You know, we never talk about it, but we're in something like, what is it, 45 countries? Oh, I think it's closer to 60, but a lot of those are the onesie well, twosies. Well, that's true. Yeah. It, it's about 45 come out every week, but if you look at the different names, and yeah, yeah we've probably yeah. been in 60. But, um, you know, of course, Canada and the United States, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, still still our biggest mm-hmm. uh, members. But, yeah, we, we, we reach uh, pretty far. It's pretty interesting. Anyway, yeah. he sent me a really nice email. Thanks for this, Robert. It was great. We've exchanged a couple emails since. He said, I'm a few episodes behind, so just today, listen to you telling about your brother. My condolences. Given what you said about his public speaking prowess, I immediately wondered if there were any videos or audios of him speaking. And, you know, there, there aren't. Um, I, I told Robert, I said, yeah, you know, he, he spoke for uh, the companies he was employed by, and they didn't have a habit of recording them and you know, when I saw him speak, it was way before iPhone, you know, technology. Yeah. So I, I don't think, I, I'm not sure if I can even find one of him mm-hmm. speaking somewhere. Um, so unfortunately, that's just lost. But he said, I also wondered if he might have in the past penned anything about the specific knowledge he imparted to you on the subject of public speaking or if he planned to in the future. Either way, thanks for sharing your memories of Ken with us. And this, this email really got me thinking, Ed. I mean, it, it's like he, he did, he told me so much. And mm-hmm. what I wrote to Robert was, it's just become a part of me. And I can't separate it out. I don't know what it was. It's, but it's yeah. just become part of me. And I mean, there were some major themes that, that were big. I mean, his favorite line was, don't pain the listener. Right. <laughs> You know, if you pain the listener, you've committed the cardinal sin 
you know, don't bore the listener. Tell stories was another mm-hmm. big one. You know, use facts, use logic, but also pepper it with stories. Um, and, you know, he always used humor, but it was always that, I don't want to say snarky because that's the wrong word. It was kind of sarcastic. I remember, I remember cracking up at one line. He was talking about customer and customer selection, just like we talk about it. You got to mm-hmm. like these people, all that. He said, you know, that little old bitty that you have sitting in your chair that complains and never gives you a tip. Oh, yeah, she's going to get your kid into Harvard, you know. And it would bring the house down when he – and he would just, you know, kind of throw it as a throwaway line. But the stuff he taught me were just, you know, more just style things and voice and throwing your voice and all that, you know. But I, I just – and I never wrote any of it down. I didn't. I just absorbed it. Well, because you said that he was kind of on the road with you for a number of months, right? And in a lot of cases, you were doing back-to-back engagements. So you had yep. the opportunity to take the feedback from him and then immediately put it into practice the next day. Absolutely. Right? And, and that's, that's, what that's the best way to do it, obviously, because you, you, yep. you just get a chance to, to do that. And yeah, I think that, that you know, that's uh, just going back to my theater days. That's that's the great part of being in a play, being in a show, because you you night after night and over and over and over again right. in rehearsal over and over again try to 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 work through it you know and and look i really tried to practice in my theater days even i was doing you know i, I didn't get paid all that much and very infrequently for my theater stuff most of it was was volunteer work in, in school and stuff like that but i did i did occasionally make enough for gas money <laughs> which, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. good so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's better than a sharp stick in the eye, right? Um, and and I I really did adhere to that that uh, mantra that you know uh, amateurs do it until they get it right, professionals practice until they can't get it wrong, right, right, right. Yeah. And I try to still incorporate that in in my speaking. I still try to to use some of those things, and then perhaps the biggest one. And in fact, our our buddy Greg Tarico mentioned it to me when he came and saw me at Sage Summit in Atlanta. That I really have started incorporating more of since he since he mentioned this a couple of weeks ago is change to voice. Yeah. Right. Low increasing and and volume, and you can the do ASMR. so much. It, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. do so much with with changes to volume. Yeah. Right? He taught me that too. In. Right. Silence. And, yeah. Silence yeah. is, he, he thought he used silence a lot because you yep. he says bring the audience to the edge of their seats mm-hmm. when you pause and you do. Yep. Let them hold on to it. Now, pausing, not good here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, Rush always says no, dead, a little dead air never hurt anybody. Yeah, but not a lot. <laughs> no, no, not a lot. But he does use it. He does pause and, and, and let, let it go dead. He does do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he does the ASMR stuff too. He'll whisper, he'll, you know, he'll change yeah. his tone and inflection. Um, but yeah, Ken, I mean, Ken played music and he, you know, would play the piano and accompany singers. So he was very attuned to that to voice inflections and volume and, you know, throwing your voice and all that. Okay. But yeah, I just, you know, and, and Ed, if you think about it in theater or even what I did with Ken every night when we go to dinner and he'd critique me, those were after action reviews. We didn't call them that. We didn't structure them. We didn't use the questions, but that's what we were doing. And then, like you said, I was able to put it into play the next day or whatever. And, and um, yeah, it just became part of me. But 
really, thank you, Robert, for asking me that question because it really made me think about it because I never did write a blog post about any of the stuff he taught me. I don't know why. Yeah. Makes it probably because you were putting it into practice so quickly. Yeah. And I just absorbed it. So. Yep. Yep. Well, good. And thanks for sharing with that. that we're on this. It's, it's a good, good stuff. Good insight for our audience members. Any of you who do public speaking or just presentations in the office, right? To, to know you got to do that. And of course, my big thing is if you do any amount of public speaking, try to join Toastmasters because you do get that same kind of immediate feedback from people. If you don't have, if you don't have a Ken in your life, if you don't have a brother Ken, uh, Toastmasters is a good place to go. Yeah, for sure. And and there there are some great books, and maybe we should talk about them at some point. But there are some great books I've read on public speaking, too, that uh, um, one of the best is William F. Buckley's, I think his younger brother, Reed Buckley. He actually had a public teaching school in South Carolina. Politicians and all sorts of actors and notables went through it. And he wrote uh, two great books on public speaking, Reed Buckley. Yeah. I think, and that's good, but I, I still think the only way to do it is put it into practice on a regular basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't, you can't just read about it and do, you got to do it. You got to keep doing it. Do it. Yeah. Yep. The reading will just help you fine tune it. All right. So uh, I got, let me just do a, try and do a, get a quick, another quick one in okay. here, Ron. This is, Go and under, this is under the, the heading of stuff that we've, we talked about before. Um, there, there, this was from, let's see, the conversation, a website called the conversation. Uh, and don't have the author's name here, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, this is uh, about most people believe that Facebook doesn't fool them, but they worry how it affects everybody else. Absolutely. There's, so this is right up, right up there with 90% of us think we're in the top Better drivers, drivers, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They're, what's that effect? The Pygmalion effect? Fact, yeah. Or, or no, uh, Wake Lake will be gone. Effect. Lake will be gone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. one of those. Lake will be gone. Where yeah. what? The, the men are good looking, women right. are strong. Everybody's and above average. Above average. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, this is so. So, which I think is is true. You know, it, for all of the talk about the influence of Facebook in the election, then when you ask people, have you ever changed your opinion for something you run on Facebook? No, no. <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing that. I mean, if you changed your mind and your vote based on something you saw on Facebook, you're you're beyond hope. Uh, but yeah, except I will say that I, I there was something that I came across my desk today that is starting to at least change my mind uh, on my belief about teachers and teacher salaries. I don't know if you saw this, but there's a there, there's a study study done and, and on. Um, uh, not Cafe Hayek, the, the Marginal Revolution. So mm -hmm. Tyler Cowen's blog was yeah. the other guy, Al Alex Taraka. Oh, Tarabek, or yeah, yeah. Tarabek, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the researcher says that, that the, the prices of, of education have gone up not because of administrators, but because we have more teachers and the teachers get paid more. Mm -hmm. And I, I've actually have repeated that mantra of it's the administration, but it, it does seem to be, at least according to his research and I'm beginning to change my mind, that it it really is not administration. Well, I just read, Ed, no. somewhere, I think it was Fee, somewhere talking about teachers in Milwaukee, a good chunk of them make over a hundred grand a year. Yeah, and I'm sure and I'm sure that there's lots of places where there is an administrative burden. Point is in that in this broad study is that it seems to be mostly made up of more teachers. Now and of course then there's the impact in the size of the classroom and all that. But we're we are out of time, Ron. 
We wow. are out of time here on Free Rider Friday. Can you believe it? I can't okay. believe it. Wow. But we're going to continue this on our bonus episode on over on Patreon. So those of you not subscribed should head over there right now so you can hear us continue this conversation. What do we got coming up next week, Ron? Uh, we're not sure, but we're either going to do something on subscription <laughs> or we're going to uh, do a show that we pre-recorded with a TSOE listener. It's your brother-in-law's brother-in-law, is that right? Your brother-in-law's brother-in-law, brother-in-law. yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, so. Yeah. One of those. And Ed, just real quick announcement. We uh, haven't confirmed a date, but we do have Rory Sutherland coming on to talk about his new book, Alchemy. Outstanding. We can't wait for that. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.